Hello and welcome back to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector. I'm your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it typically works. In each episode, a guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them. That's it. And no fluff, lots of actionable tips you can use to grow your audience and business. But today, we're going to do something a little different because today is a flip the script episode, which means instead of someone coming on and asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I will ask him the three questions. Today's guest is Kay He. Kay is the founder of Rad Reads, an online education company that helps high performers lead a productive and examined life. Rad Reads provides guides, coaching, and trainings for over 38,000 professionals to help them gain back free time, scale their impact, and make their little dent in the universe. Before founding Rad Reads, Kay spent 15 years working on Wall Street and was one of the youngest managing directors at BlackRock. He's been called Oprah for millennials, which is quite a uh, tag by CNN and The Wall Street Guru by Bloomberg. And his work has been featured in The Wall Street Journal, TEDx, Barron's, Time Magazine, and Quartz. He has an amazing newsletter. He is someone whose work I have really admired and whose opinion I respect, which is why I can't wait to throw questions at him and uh, suck up all the intelligence out of his mind and what he's learned. So with that in mind, hey, Kay, welcome to the show. Josh, a lot of feelings mutual, long, long time fan and friend of everything that you create. So I'm honored to be here. Hello, listeners. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Let's jump into it. So the first question I have for you is for everyone that's watching or listening to this, myself included, we are all, I'm sure, spending time on things that are not the best use of our. You are a bit of an expert in productivity. And I think also in terms of focusing on using your time in smart ways. So what I want to do is I want to try to help them. And by them, I mean me as well. Identify and remove some of the things that we're spending time on right now that probably aren't, be aren't the best use of our time. So I thought one of the ways to do this is give me a few quick questions that we can ask ourselves or exercises that we can do to improve our productivity in the next month. And maybe as a starting point, feel free to give me a little take on your view of productivity in general. That should be easy, right? Just in a few minutes, help yeah. us solve everything. So Did the 10 minute timer start yet or does it start now? <laughs> yeah. uh, we have an yeah, eight exactly. week course on this. All right. I'll start with a very simple proposition that people often mistake, get wrong, is not all tasks are created equally, right? Mm -hmm. I can send an email to a friend with a dinner recommendation. And I can send an email to a journalist at the Wall Street Journal. They both take 10 minutes just because something takes the same amount of time. Does it mean it has the same amount of impact? That's the first thing. Second thing is to always look for that scale, that impact of your action. What really moves the needle? And for that, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. We have the mm. framework of 10K work, which basically says $10 work is low skill low leverage activities, responding to emails, updating your website, making graphics in Canva. And 10K work is high skill, high leverage, coming up with brand frameworks, reaching out to journalists, creating catchy taglines, you know, SEO, right? Things that mm -hmm. really scale your impact. And between those quadrants, you know, leverage impact is the big determinant. So I'll start you off with a simple question. 
If you could only work, you're actually in that phase, new dad, lack of sleep, schedule thrown awry. If you could only work two hours today, what would you work on? It's funny. That's not that much of a hypothetical. Re recording this podcast would definitely be one. I can tell you that it's funny. Like I would say replying to some emails, but I would not mm. say replying to every email. To mm. your point, there's a big difference between replying to the new newsletter subscriber who just sent me a random question and the person who reached out wants to talk about hiring me. Exactly. So not when I say replying to emails with limited time, it'd be starting with those sort of higher priority emails, not mm. the others. And then I think, look, there's a list of stuff that I know is high impact, but have avoided, right? Sponsors for this podcast. I'm at episode, I've done almost 20 episodes of this show. And from day one, I'm like, oh, I want to bring on sponsors for the show. I have started to have some of those conversations. I just haven't done it. And in the meantime, I keep producing podcast episodes that could be monetized and are not because I'm not doing it. Yeah. And you nailed it. And what you're getting to is sponsorship is a high scale strategy, right? Mm. The volume, basically like it's not free money, but it's like an Airbnb that go, an apartment that goes unused, right? Could Airbnb it? There's, there's latent economics but you're not doing it. That's yeah. a very high leverage thing. You already created the thing and something above it, some additional bow of strategy would unlock additional value without having you, without needing you to create new things. So that is an example of high skill, high leverage. And one thing you would want to ask yourself is what's the blocker? See, because what happens is with these things, they're like, you might have a little imposter syndrome. I'm putting words in your mouth. You might have yeah. a little imposter syndrome. You might not know exactly how to, ask for a sponsor because that might be like a new thing for you, podcast sponsorships. So what happens, this is 10K work. It's much easier to drop back and be like, you know what? That thing is like making me a little uncomfortable. I'm going to get to inbox zero because <laughs> when I get to inbox zero, I feel really good in that moment. And I feel like I got a lot done, right? And that's $10 work. And so we want to just, and you have, we all have to respond to emails, right? Yeah. Even Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they have to respond to emails, but we want to get into like, how can Musk run five companies? He knows how to think of, he has to think of the highest leverage mm -hmm. thing he can do, which is usually probably leverage and uh, hiring and strategy, right? Yeah. Hiring and strategy are, are two very high leverage activities, but you can't do a hundred percent of strategy or else you'd never execute. It's kind mm -hmm. of always finding that balance and really understanding those blockers. I think there's a lot of psychological blockers. $10 work, you do it because you're tired. You do it because you're a perfectionist. You do it because you're scared of failure. You do it because you have imposter syndrome. You do it because you're distracted. Feels good to do, to reply to YouTube comments, to reply to news. It feels like you're pushing the ball yeah. forward. You have guilt. 10K work. Ooh, this thing is, feels a little weird, like sponsorships. I've never done this before. I've got to do send cold emails. I don't really know exactly the right phrasing. I don't know the right pricing. And then I don't know if it's going to work. And I might look a little foolish because I might ask for too much or if I ask for too little, I'm going to be self-loathing myself. Yeah, I was just going to go back to Canva as my safe space. And it's um, going to, and I would add to that also in using myself in this as an example is doing it's going to create additional work. And mm -hmm. I got to figure out how to place the ads in the thing. And I got to mm -hmm. coordinate and get the stuff. So you're right. There's the, there can be the fear of doing it for whatever reason that the, as you call them blockers, but then there's also the, 
if I succeed, if I get a sponsor, now mm -hmm. I got to do a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. that I'm on the hook for that I think also prevents it. I'm curious. And again, you can use mine as an example, but also just in general, because I do think this is really common, right? That people have those blockers that I guess there's two different things. One is they're not sure what they should do at the higher leverage activity. Yep. But for the people that are like, I know my time is better spent doing that mm -hmm. for whatever, for whatever blockers I have, I'm not doing it. How do you recommend or what can you recommend to help them get over that hump and yeah. overcome those blocks? So first, first example, super cheeky. But for those of you who followed my blog for a while, I think that the how and the why, so the personal psychological traits and the activity are, are intricately related. So I would say mm -hmm. Yeah. If you have imposter syndrome, it probably comes from some fear that you have in you that you've not fully come to grips with or addressed. But let's put that one aside because that's mm -hmm. not why your listeners came to this episode. Another way would be to start very small. Mm -hmm. People do 25 minutes of 10K work every day. And you said, like a lot of people, that's that can be sitting with a blank notebook and asking, what is the highest leverage thing I can be doing right mm -hmm. now? It sounds crazy, but we don't ever make time to think, right? Yeah. We're always creating, we're always updating, we're always tweaking and tinkering. Where's the thinking time? Just because we are creative entrepreneurs doesn't mean that we don't need to think and strategize and set a vision and set longer term goals and so on and so forth. So start small, 25 minutes, a, let's start even really small, 25 minutes a week Yeah. thinking time. I find that I teach the damn thing and I find that hard to create. That, but I usually I get about 25 minutes yeah. a day of thinking time. So that'd be one way. The second way would be to identify next actions, right? And that's a kind of David Allen getting things done concept. If people have these like elaborate product lists, you even mentioned it yourself. If I were to win the sponsorship, it, it unfurls this whole Great. realm of activities. Start small. What's the next, next action? Next mm -hmm. action, create a sponsor template in Notion, sponsor script, whatever, and start there right? Next actions move you towards completion of projects. Third way, think about your time. Think about your energy, not your time. All these $10 tasks, hands about comments, um, responding to reader uh, questions, batch those. Think about your week. When are you lowest energy? For me, it's actually, it's Thursday and Friday afternoons, super mm -hmm. low energy. I just throw in the towel. I wave the white flag. I'm like, there is no 10K work happening. Thursday afternoon, but I will get a hundred low value tasks done while listening to music. Sometimes mm -hmm. I even have a cocktail in my hand and you batch them so that they're not, we have to do it. Please don't take away from this that you shouldn't do low value work. We all have to do low value work, but you want to minimize the low value work and you don't want it to distract from the high value work. And you can do that by thinking about your energy texture. Yeah, that's great. One other thing I would add that that had that I've done, and again, it depends what you're trying to do, but has one thing that has worked for me is I have these skill session products and I have a bunch of products that I've created that you launch them, you promote them, they're always available, right? Sort of evergreen products. And there's that thing in the back of my head of, you know, I should promote these more, even in like a basic, simple way, right? You know, you can argue is that promotion of that low value high. It's actually pretty high value, mm -hmm. high leverage. It's certainly the potential is. A tweet promoting a paid product has the potential to get me more than just another sort of random tweet, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the things that I did, and it was so obvious, and this goes to your point of take some time to think, right? It was so obvious in retrospect. 
is I set an autoresponder email. So now when someone subscribes to my newsletter, mm. 30 days after they've subscribed, they get an email that says my one month anniversary gift to you. Mm. And they get this email and it basically says, hey, Beautiful. if you want a discount on any of these products, mm. let me know. Appreciate you being here for a month. And so that runs automatically and now it's driving sales automatically. The 10 minutes maybe that it took me to create that email mm -hmm. now ensures that everybody that comes into my newsletter after yeah. 30 days is going to at least be aware that promotion is now on autopilot. Exactly. And again, all it took was coming up with the idea in 10 yeah. minutes to set it up. So five minutes of thinking yeah, and minutes of execution. And then this flywheel, probably not a massive source of revenue, yeah. but this little flywheel of, of extra income. Yeah. And it trickles in. And I think the other thing it does for me is it removes that feeling in the back of my mind of I'm not promoting enough. At least yeah. I'm doing something. I love Maybe that. I should still do more, but there's something at all times every day, someone's getting that. an email promoting my services. To and I love that you just give, you gave the perfect example of a 10K flywheel, right? Just like a little <laughs> bit of strategic thinking paired yeah. with execution, paired with a unique skill or unique asset that you have, right? Readers. Yeah. And you package those together and the thing works while you sleep. Yeah. Cool. I want to shift a little bit here with my second question for you. So I think that, and this is one of the things that I've admired the most about what you've done and having followed you from a while, for a while, I followed you sort of before you came up with this 10 K work mm -hmm. kind of branding. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. But so I think one of the toughest and most valuable things to do as a creator, an entrepreneur, somebody in this sort of expertise space is the branding and packaging of the core ideas of mm -hmm. what you teach or sell or what you, your branding and sort of the distillation of all these concepts into this 10K work concept is one of the best examples I've seen of that. Because I think it's very easy and very quick for people, even if they're brand new to you, mm -hmm. understand, oh my God, I get it. And to very yeah. quickly apply it to themselves and go, are these things that I'm doing hundred dollar work or 10 K work, whatever. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to hear, or what I'm curious to hear is, can you explain how you came up with the sort of branding and presentation of it? The 10 K idea you mm. take, and not just how you did it, but your advice for anyone else that's trying yeah. to figure out how do I take this complex set of ideas, and boil it down into a clear, simple mm. package. Wonderful. That's a 10 K question. Right. Um, right. I, so I want to start with a metaphor. Imagine a giant wall, a giant blank wall, and next to me, there's a pot full of spaghetti. And all you see is just me throwing spaghetti against that wall. And that's basically how 10K, you might have seen it, all of the prior attempts. But let me try to break it down a few ways. One is that I've always thought about what makes something catchy, right? But I'm a words person. So... For me, I've always gravitated towards alliterations. That's why Rad Reads, and if you think about it, Rad Reads, yeah. Jamba Juice, Barry's Boot Camp, Best Buy, right? It's not a coincidence, Coca-Cola, like that some of our most iconic and well-known brands are alliterations. And the reason I bring that up is because that's a, you could say that's a formula, right? Again, no one said like alliteration is a formula, but I'm sure someone's written that somewhere, but through the power of observation, I'm like, wow, what is it about these names that are so catchy? And so it immediately, this is a pattern that I have. When something grabs my attention, I kind of like ponder it. You can't unsee it. I can never look at a brand name without checking 
to see if there's an alliteration. And you could take it a step further. I do this. Copywriters, what they have called swipe files. Yeah. You see something interesting, just collect it in a, some kind of notebook. So I swipe good names, good copy. So that'd be one, one thing. The, the other thing is really thinking about the packaging of an idea. And so I always was obsessed with the Eisenhower matrix because I thought it was just like a very, it was a very clever way to distill a very complex idea visually. Yeah. For people who don't know what that is, can you just take it? For people who don't know what it is, it's a two by two matrix, picture four squares, side a square, and each quadrant has different levels of prioritization, important and urgent, important, not urgent, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the thinking and not thinking, it works. You put your task into these different things, buckets, and then it works. Now I'm a left brain thinker. I'm a former engineer. And so I think of things very logically. Like I like Mm -hmm. to take messy things and put order around them. So I've always liked matrices and I gravitated towards matrices, the Eisenhower matrix. Some of you might remember Venkatesh Rao, who's like Mm -hmm. an old school blogger, and he would always put things in matrices. Like he'd take all these weird concepts and just put them in matrices. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, this is so natural. This is so cool. Some of you might know the Kim Scott. She wrote a great leadership book called Radical Candor. And she described four styles of leadership into a two by two matrix. And so I kept seeing these matrices and I was like, it just planted this seed in my, and I would just write about the matrix, someone else's matrix, because I just thought it's a very powerful framing tool. And so what was happening subconsciously was similar to the alliterations. Every time I was seeing a bunch of ideas, I was, I had a little formula to put them into, oh, could this fit into four boxes across two axes? And that took many years. So that was another thing. The next thing that came in, so that's how the visual part came in, the next thing that came in was copywriting. And copywriting, for those of you who are not familiar, is basically, it's not writing. It's a very specific style of writing to try to persuade someone to do something, to take an action. So you could be like, subscribe, you could say like, subscribe to my newsletter, or you could say, join an exclusive group of some of the smartest people in the world. It's say, as to asking for the same outcome, but it's said very differently. The second one, it's not great copy, but it's better copy than the first one. So I spent a lot of time on copywriting. That was probably one of my biggest unlocks as an entrepreneur is to really understand. And I'm very lucky that I actually find it very enjoyable. So with copywriting, you start to find these things that they call them like a curiosity gap, right? Yeah. And so a classic curiosity gap is the four hour work week, right? Like the four hour work week, like what? Come on. We all know that Tim Ferriss doesn't work four hours a week, but it's so catchy. And so close enough to reality, like the, not so close to reality, but still constructed in a reality that we know, like it almost sounds like the four day work week or the 24 hour work, you know, like it just, it doesn't feel so ridiculous, but it feels ridiculous at the same time. But regardless, you want to know more. You're like, I don't believe that's true, but tell me more. Yeah. And that's where the 10K layering came in. And again, this is an amalgamation of a lot of different concepts. Time is money from Benjamin Franklin. Perry Marshall had, or the 80-20 principle, right? Like this took years, Josh. And so I'm just collecting these different components. And this is where I write every week. And so every week I get a little little trial run on a new Mm -hmm. idea. And when I wrote that first piece, people were like, holy shit, that is awesome. Yeah. But that was like after writing 188 pieces prior. And I'm assuming, and I know because I'm similar in this way, that gives you the ability. I'm guessing that you could tell right away 
there's something in this concept that's resonating in a much bigger way than a lot of other stuff. But well, you only know that because you've tried so many different things, mm -hmm. stuff to compare it to. But yeah. did you, it sounds like, and I'm assuming that, you know, as soon as you put that out in the world and you saw the reaction that you realize, okay, there's something here. If people reacted pretty quickly and again, it has a catchy name. Yeah. So it, it could travel visually with the mm -hmm. matrix and it could mm -hmm. travel as a work with words. But again, that wasn't by design. It just happened yeah. that way. And then when I saw that, I just like double and triple down. And then what I realized, and you see this with many creators is that it's like generalized framework enough that you can put any, I could do like the 10 K work mm -hmm. of entrepreneurship, right? But like the emit, they have emit for doctors, emit for financial professionals, emit yeah. for this. Once you have a generalized enough, but still specific container of ideas, 80, 20 rule, you can then go in and just put it across all these different like verticals or, or niches. And then I just started like pushing it harder and harder. And like, it's a brand new thing, but it works. Like, yeah, the Eisenhower matrix works. That's why people right. don't talk about it because it works. Like, so it has to work too. It can't just be like a pretty chart that, that just shows a flow. It can't be like a pretty flow chart. Yep. You know, it's funny, like there's a bunch of stuff that you said, and I'm going to kind of summarize and add a little bit to what you just said, because I do think it's, it's interesting. I didn't know exactly where you were going to go with this when I asked the question, but as you were talking about it, it was just checking all these boxes of, oh yeah, I do that too. Or I think that too, or I can totally see that. And that resonates with stuff that I've said before about, about different things. And one of the things I say to people all the time is pay attention to what catches your eyes. If you want to write better headlines, pay attention to the headlines that you click, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. If you want to write better ads, sure. pay attention to the ads that make you stop and go, why did I stop on this? Yeah. Why did this get me to stop scrolling? Yeah. And what you're saying is essentially a version of that. Uh, other thing that I think that this name and you did in your process, which is one of the biggest mistakes that, or one of the most important things to do that I see a lot of people go the other way is clarity over cleverness. 10K work, if I know nothing, if you were like, what do you think 10K work is? People's guesses with zero contacts would be somewhat in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. And I see so many people try to be clever in mm -hmm. the branding of their thing. And as a result, the average person has no idea what they're talking right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the super system. Okay. I don't know what the hell that is. The other thing, it's funny you referenced four hour work week because, and I can't remember where I heard this, but somebody pointed out that so many best-selling books. And if you look, especially at like business book titles and stuff like that, the title is a thing that people want to be true, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they I'm want to believe that you can just work a four hour work if you think about even that books like, uh, you know, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, Think and Grow Rich, Essentialism. They mm -hmm. want to believe that they can just focus on the essential stuff and that whatever, mm -hmm. that they can simplify everything. And there's, you know, that book range, right? Mm -hmm. But what generalists want yeah. to believe that being a generalist is better than what whatever. So 10K work, I think in some ways fits into that too, yeah. right? First of all, they want to believe that they, some of their work is 10K value or 10, yeah, yeah. they want to believe that they don't have to spend a lot of time on hundred dollar work yeah. or it is. And then the last thing, which again, I think is, I find so helpful in my own work, putting stuff out there so that you can get that feedback loop. And so that you can see what people actually resonate. Cause I think there's a lot of people that they're not putting stuff out there, sitting mm -hmm. there going, how do I, 
they don't want to put it out until they brand their concept or figure it out. And they're sitting with a list of names. If you had been doing that without putting stuff out, Mm -hmm. you sit with a list of names and go, do I like 10K work or do I like this other thing? I don't know. And I think all of that is really important. And so it's interesting to see you hit all those points and how they all come together to help you ultimately land on something powerful. And the thing you spot on in your synthesis, and the thing that I would add on is like, part of the reason why all this has come together, it, I've been doing it for eight years, right? It'd yeah. be foolish if it wasn't coming together after eight yeah. years. What I wanted to share is every week I send a news, I was sending 300, 364th issue today. We already queued it. Congratulations. And so every, but I thank you. Every Monday we send it on Saturday. I go in and I look at a few key things. I'm like, what was the most click story? And usually it's the essay that I write. I have a data point, which is did they like my essay? Usually it's yes. But then I have, we have it in a table, but I know it in my head. I'm like, like, oh, last week I wrote about toxic workplaces. It got 400 clicks. But when I wrote about Tom Brady, Giselle, and what that means for ambition in a marriage, it got 1400 clicks. Mm. So people care much more, again, one data point, but like people care three times more about like ambition in relationships. Mm-hmm. or zeitgeist positioning, like talking about the current moment, than like toxic workplaces, which is like a very known concept. Yeah. So I've got that data point. Then the next data point that I look at, and I look at these every single Monday. The next, it's a habit. I don't even have a task to do it. Then I look at the second most click, which wouldn't be mine uh, article. And I'm like, what story did they click on the most? That's mm-hmm. like I'm interested in this idea, or this is a really good framing, mm-hmm. right? Like one, one that I remember being so high was like the one page productivity plan. I was like, oh, people want to know that they can have productivity on one page, right? Duh, but it also has an, it also has a triple alliteration in it. Uh, and then the last thing I look at is what's the open rate. And now the open rate is a little biased because people have been opening for so long, yeah. but it's still, I still use it because I could be like, oh, 53 versus 48. And I'm like, maybe that headline wasn't as good. So I'm mm-hmm. analyzing my headlines through this long history of open rates. And I just do that. So I've had 300, I, mean, I haven't done it for 364 weeks, yeah. but let's say 275 times I've analyzed these three data points that it's, yeah. it's baked into my intuition now. Yeah, you learn a lot. This is a total side note, but it's one of the reasons why when I talk to people about newsletters, I'm not a fan of the full content in the newsletter because when you put your full thing in the newsletter, you don't know if people clicked or not. You don't have a way of gauging their interest other than if some people reply. Yeah. So I'm always a fan of like summary and link because I want to know how many people were actually interested in that topic versus, yeah, I can gauge the open rates, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Did they read it? Did they not read it? Did they care? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the last um, thing is we have a, we always have yeah. a little funny thing at the end mm-hmm. and it just started off as a funny thing. It still is. It's usually one of the most click things, but that also mm-hmm. tells me how many people made it to the bottom of the email. Yep. Same way. Like I, I am always looking at that because no. yeah, it does. It tells you, did they read? Cool. So let me get to the last question I want to ask you, which is sort of a combination of a few quick questions in one. You're very, the productivity space and all of that is massive now. And there's all these terms that get thrown around constantly. And I thought it would be interesting to just hear what some of these terms mean to you, how you define them, and maybe a quick tip or something about how you think about actually doing them. So for example, the first is you hear everybody talk about work smart, not Mm -hmm. hard, you know, whatever. In your mind, what does it mean to work smart? And how do you do so? So uh, work smart to me is, I had a friend, he calls it strategic laziness. 
And so he's like, how can I get the same outcome with the least amount of effort? Basically, that's the inverse of the 10K framework, right? How can you maximize output with minimal effort? This is how can mm-hmm. you, it's the reverse of it. So I, so to me, working smarter is, are you living the life that you want to live? I surf every day. I meditate. I pick my kids up from school. I shut my phone off at 7.30. If I'm able to do those things, then I'm working extremely smart. Now, people will say, well, you're running a growing startup business in a recession. Like, how are you able to do that? It is mm-hmm. the byproduct of constantly asking myself, is this the highest leverage thing to do? Is this the highest leverage thing? For everything that's middle or questionable, can someone else do this? Can mm-hmm. I delegate it? And for something that is like very low value, like replying to comments and editing, tweaking stuff in Canva, do I even need to do this, right? So if I can, working smart to me is like maximizing the highest output things, like sending an email to an editor at Harvard Business Review, delegating the things that definitely need to get done to someone else, and then not doing the things that are often done, like like why we like bite our nails or drink alcohol, kind of like they're more distractions from the right. real thing than things we actually need to do. Can you think of a recent example of something that you either changed how you do or maybe abandoned and you look at it and you go, I'm doing this in a much smarter way now than I was before? Yeah, I would say that all of my involvement in like replying to readers, the different Mm -hmm. Slack communities that that we organize that I'm in, all of, I used to graze on those. Oh, like what's happening in our community? Yeah. But the thing is, then you feel guilty to respond and you get caught in a conversation. And now I just, I schedule it. Because even then it was like, I think the thing is that it was like, oh, it's only two minutes of work and three minutes right. of work. You here. get sucked in. But it, it's, you get sucked in. But not only that, every context switch is 10 minutes of energy, of mental energy to just reset yourself. And that two minute check really was like, and energetically felt like a 15 minute check. Yeah. Are you in those communities every day is that you do it? Oh, they're pop-up. They pop up during our cohorts. So oh, okay. I am so during, during the cohorts. Yeah, we have another one that's alumni and that one I'm in less. Gotcha. Okay, let's go to another term that is used, that is thrown around constantly. In your mind, what is work-life balance and mm. how do you achieve it? See, I don't like things that are zero-sum. I use this example of you have one kid, you just had a, mm-hmm. a baby. And you probably, you and your partner looked at the baby and you're like, oh my God, I didn't think that I was capable of loving this thing. Like this, the amount of love that I have for this thing. And you probably have said to yourself, like, I can't imagine loving anything else more, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe one day you'll have a second child and something strange will happen. You love the second child equally as much as the first child. And so it actually turns out that you don't have a fixed capacity of love. You have an infinite capacity of love right. or much larger than you think. And so when I hear work-life balance, I think of, oh, I have a hundred units of love, or in this example, I have a hundred units of activity and you do 80 go into activity, do 20 go, do 80 go into work, do 20 go into life. And it's like the zero sum. What I would propose is something completely different is like when they work in harmony with each other, right? So I surf, like I'm a CEO, a lot of my job is thinking and I surf and I go on walks and I don't bring a notebook and mm-hmm. I'm actually doing the most important CEO work, but I'm getting my vitamin D, I'm in the water, the salt, the fresh air. So I think that there is a harmony and that harmony comes from knowing what you truly, what your boundaries are, what your non-negotiables yeah. are. Like I've had a few health issues and so I have some non-negotiables on sleep. Like I'm never mm-hmm. going to sleep six and a half hours again, ever yeah. in, under normal circumstances. 
So you have to know what your boundaries are. You have to know what you desire. I'm also not trying to build the next, my first million or the next hustle.co. I'm not trying to sell this company. I'm not trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars from rad reads. Like it is very clear. You don't want like, Elon Musk to come in and acquire I don't you? want Elon Musk. I don't <laughs> want any of that stuff. Right. I want, I, to be fair, to be very transparent, maximizing rad reads profits, the third on the list of priorities for rad reads. What so, are the top two? The top is to express myself creatively by doing mm -hmm. things that I'm proud of. Uh, and then the next one is to design a company that supports the lifestyle that the founder and the employees want to live. And then we make money, right? Because why would I want to make money? Because if I, to me, I want to make money to buy back time. But if I can protect time, then I don't need to buy back more time. I can make less money. And I think the thing, we have 30-hour work weeks. I think we'll make just as much money as a company with 40-hour work weeks. If there was an identical company that had four, I think we'll make just as much because our employees would be so much more engaged and happier. Yeah. We'll never know the answer to that. So I view it as harmony, which comes from knowing what you truly, like your personal 10K work comes from truly knowing what you want and what matters to you and prioritizing it accordingly. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So let's wrap up with this. The last term that I think gets thrown around a lot. I tweeted the other day, something about, I said, just because you're a solopreneur doesn't mean you have to do it alone. And I'm curious, this idea and this concept of solopreneur, right? What does that mean to you? Because obviously there are solo, there are people who call themselves solopreneurs and in their mind, they're just off in a cave somewhere doing yeah. everything by themselves. But then there are people that they have assistants, virtual or real, they have employees, maybe or not. Do you consider yourself a solopreneur? You know, you've referenced multiple times that you view Rad Reads as a company and you yeah. know, obviously you have people working for you. What do you think it means these days to be a solopreneur? I'll answer the easier question. I don't think of yeah. myself as a solopreneur. We have W2 employees. So. Did you ever? Yeah, I think I did when it was just me in front of a computer, right? Mm -hmm. So there's kind of K in front of a computer. Then there was like contractors and virtual assistants. That's where I actually don't know. I probably wouldn't have called myself a solopreneur. Was that a conscious shift or was that always the plan? None I of guess part of I guess part of what I'm asking is when you, and I know you have, people should look it up because you have an amazing backstory and all that. But when you started out, was the plan I'm going to do, I'm going to be on my own or was the plan I'm going to build a company? Ironically, this was not scripted, listeners. The yeah. plan was, how can I create a life that is in harmony with what I want to do and how I want to live it? Yep. it? The growth was driven by that, right? As a solopreneur, I was like, man, this sucks. I'm doing a lot of $10 work. Can I hire someone to do that? And so I did that. And then I continued to hire contractors. I'm like, you know what? Like, this is hard to hire contractors because I really enjoy like this thing that we're building. But the contractors, by definition, are not, they don't believe in it. Like they just want a paycheck as they should. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that without criticism. And there were this other group of people that were like, we love what you're building. And like, we want, we're not going to bleed it the way you bleed it, but we want to be a part of it and <laughs> want to like, again, I don't love this analogy, but it's like, we want to think about it when we're on a walk, right? Yeah. I'm not asking you to think about it when you're on a walk, but if you feel compelled to think about it because you're so passionate about it, great. And so that became the next step is it's actually very hard. And some people are like, you can get contractors to think that way. I was like, I don't mm -hmm. know, man, big believer in incentive structures and the incentives just aren't there. 
Yeah. With, uh, with W2 employees, you have a direct incentive that says, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm offering you benefits. Like it's a lot more expensive in the U.S. to hire a W2 employee than a contractor. A lot yeah. more expensive, even before the benefits. And then, but you have shown the employee loyalty. And so then they'll show it back to you. Yeah. And so all of those, though, they were all selfishly based on like your question of work-life harmony. Yeah which is I don't want to do work that I don't enjoy doing. But I love working on things that are really cool, creative, important to me. So how can I like build a company around that? Yeah. I really well, love And I think that's that that's awesome and I think the other thing that comes across and hopefully people are picking this up on it cuz I picking up on it cuz I certainly am. You have a clear north star in what you actually want. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's interesting how often I'll talk to people and I'll go like, what's your goal? And they're like, oh, I want to grow my newsletter. And then, then, then like, yeah. what do you actually want? Why are you even doing any of this? Right. I think a lot of times people struggle with that. And it seems like when you figure that out, it makes all the other decisions significantly easy. Yeah. They, and not even they just fall into place. The other way they, if you chase someone else's goals, the other things don't fall into place. Because they weren't your goals to begin with. Yeah. And that's where I think people wind up confused and frustrated and without yeah. feeling about, I feel right. I feel like I'm succeeding, but I'm not really happy. And this is confusing. Mm -hmm. One, one last final thing here on the solopreneur thing, because you, what would be a quick tip you would give to somebody who wants to, or is hoping to make that transition from it's just me alone at a computer who I have an employee, a contractor, a team, a staff or whatever. Had, yeah. As someone who's gone through that, what would you say to them to make that first dip their toe in the water of that direction? I would say that I have always found that when I made the hire it was always too late or I should have done it earlier. And I think that what solopreneurs do, what I did is you want to match your revenue to your costs which is a very logical thing. But there's like that crazy part of entrepreneurs where they don't do the thing that is rational always. And you have to say, you can, I can't afford this VA today. But you have to say, like, I, I know that this thing is moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that bet. I'm going to hire for tomorrow. Yeah. And you can do it in a contained way, right? Like with contractors and so on, where you can pull, you can cut the ripcord if, it, if things don't go, right? But that's the weird thing is statistically, you would never choose to be an entrepreneur because 98% of them will fail within the first five years. So it's that same mindset. You're like, why would I hire someone? Because I don't know yet. But the same reason that attracted you to entrepreneurship, we're like, well, everyone told me I was going to fail is the reason you should use to hire within constraints and start small, a contractor, a couple hours, no, protect yourself legal. I understand the legal ramifications, but. That's what I would yeah. say. It's like, cool. you're usually ready earlier than you think to hire someone. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. I know my audience is going to love this. Tell people where they should follow you, subscribe to your newsletter, where they should go to, to get deeper into your world. Yeah, amazing. Thank you again, Josh. And thank you yeah. everyone who's made it this far into the episode. Primary place, radreads.co. Sign up to the newsletter there. We're heavy kind of newsletter events. Everything comes through that newsletter newsletter. I'm most active on Twitter. If you Google my name on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active as well. And we're going to be starting up video shorts soon. So wherever you get your video shorts, except maybe not because cool. it scares me. <laughs>
Yeah, nice. For me, I'm also not on TikTok at the moment, but you can get my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, you can check those out at joshspector.com slash sessions. If you'd like to talk about hiring me to help you one-on-one, go to joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me some questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply and then also rate and review and do all the stuff that every podcast host nags you to do. I appreciate it. And if you do tell people about the show on Twitter, make sure you tag me. I will retweet you. You will get in front of my 25,000 followers. So you can count that as a bribe or whatever you'd like to. Thanks everyone for your interest. Have a great week. Thanks again, Kay. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Josh. Bye.